Hey guys, welcome back to Silicon Street, a podcast where we explore the intersection of finance, technology, and entrepreneurship by providing college students and young professionals with insight into these ever-evolving fields and uncover the secrets to success from distinguished industry leaders. My name is James Barham, and today I am joined by my co-host, Michael Cutler. If you're new to the podcast, be sure to follow us on Spotify and LinkedIn, as we will be posting each week, and definitely check out our existing platform of over 70 podcasts. Today, we have a unique episode recorded during a Notre Dame Venture Capital Club meeting. We spoke with Keith Melaragno, who recently retired from his long tenure at Pepsi as a VP of retail. He graduated from Notre Dame in 1981, where he studied English and economics. We hope you enjoy it and find some value in the discussion. We jump right into Keith's story after he joined General Mills in an operational role. Those first five years at General Mills were, you know, great for me in the sense of once I put my Notre Dame ego on the shelf, right, that I uh, I got this degree from Notre Dame and I'm crawling around on the floor in a grocery store putting Betty Crocker cake mixes and Cheerios and Wheaties on the shelf. Um, once I got, you know, past that, I learned a lot, right? I did a lot of time spent in the back room of a grocery store, you know, talking to a grocery store manager about his business. Um, went from that first role to an account manager role, calling on some warehouses, ended up in St. Louis and got a call from Pepsi. So uh, left General Mills, went to Cincinnati, got closer to home, was there about five months and company went through a reorg and sent me to Atlanta. I spent five years in Atlanta. If you any, know anything about the beverage business, that's Coke's world headquarters. We called it Pepsi Purgatory, um, but it was a great time. I learned a lot. Again, same thing, right? calling on stores, moved into an account manager role, and um, really learned how to sell. And uh, again, once you kind of put the, the ego aside, it was a great learning experience. I fortunately then got a call to come back to Cincinnati, and I actually ran an operation. So if you think about the many avenues of you know Pepsi from a selling standpoint to running a facility or a distributorship, um, learned a lot. And, uh, and um, obviously, from an operation standpoint, um, you know, kick the tires in the morning. I mean, again, for a guy that didn't know anything about, you know, uh, air pressure on a, on, a, on a CDL truck, and, and uh, um, I learned everything from that standpoint. Um, then I got an opportunity to kind of start managing people um, in an account role from a, uh, a retail standpoint. So ran the retail business for a while, did a couple of years in food service. Um, which is unique in the sense that that's when you really learn how to sell, right? Because it's either us or Coke, right? When you're in the retail world, we're all there. You're just fighting for shelf space and inventory on the floor and price. But in a food service role, it's either us or the other guy. And I think those were the years where you really learned whether you had the, the moxie to be a salesman or not. Spent a little time in marketing, which was great because, again, that was never my plan. I did some field marketing and some brand marketing. And then I kind of finished up my career with uh, with the retail business the last 10, 12 years. Um, COVID hit, 35 years hit. Uh, my mother passed away and a lot of things going on in my head. And I said, guys, it's time for me to do something different. So I retired a year ago in March or in February. I'm actually looking to do something here at Notre Dame. I've always wanted to give back. Again, I've always believed that from, you know, even getting in Notre Dame was God's plan, that Job offer from General Mills obviously was at uh, at the Basilica to um, you know the great run I had at Pepsi um, that you know it's probably time for me to do something um, and uh, and I'd like to do it here and I'd like to give back and I think you know if I look at kind of the mantras of of what you know Notre Dame stands for you know 
that would be, you know, right up my eye. So I looked at some development jobs. I looked at some jobs at the Alumni Association. I actually have done a couple guest lectures at Mendoza. Those have gone well. Um, they kind of dangled out, well, maybe you'd be an adjunct professor someday. I don't know. There's days when I'd like to maybe not do anything, but there's days where, again, I think I got a lot left in me that I'd, uh, I'd love to spend time in a classroom. So we'll see. Awesome. Thank you for sorry. I'm pretty long winded. Oh, no, I apologize. That's all right. Um, so really awesome experiences. It sounds like so you've spent a lot of time in, in a number of roles and divisions within within Pepsi and General Mills. Um, and, and those opportunities kind of arose because these companies are, are big companies with a lot of different divisions to to go down and experience new things. So could you talk a little about um, the benefit and of, of starting your career at a bigger firm and, and the broad exposure you'll get to, to numerous operations and, and experiences. Yeah. There. So I'll, I'll touch on two things. I'll, I'll kind of talk about just the beverage part of Pepsi. Um, and I did share a little bit with you already, right? So I started in sales. I had an op opportunity to go into operations. So again, somebody that, you know, wants to kind of manage um, uh, a facility. Um, obviously every location has a finance manager. Cause again, you got to deliver a bottom line. Um, so there's finance roles within the organization. There's HR roles. Um, you know, you got to staff a distributorship or uh, or location. Um, there's manufacturing roles, right? Again, a lot of the engineers. Uh, hopefully, we've we've had a couple out of out of Notre Dame have come in uh, and and ran manufacturing facilities. Um, there's S and D. There's quality control. I mean, so there's a lot of gambits within the beverage business. Um, you know, again, you got, hopefully nobody's sitting there snickering. You know, it is just sugar water. But obviously, it's made a lot of people, um, you know, good careers um, the last, you know, hundred and some years. Um, so that's that's kind of the beverage side of the business. So I think, again, it's pretty all encompassing from any role that, um, you know, somebody would be interested. There's a marketing role, right? I talked a lot to this morning uh, or yesterday at a couple classes. Uh, a lot of kids are very interested in brand marketing or field marketing activation. Um, so those all exist on the beverage side of the business. The other thing I think that's very interesting and, and I didn't take advantage of, um, but Pepsi's part, Pepsi is part of PepsiCo, which obviously also owns Frito-Lay. So you've got a whole world of, of, uh, of snacks, um, healthy, good for you, as well as, you know, Cheetos and Doritos. And, uh, and that whole world mirrors the Pepsi world from a distributorship standpoint. So you got the same selling opportunities the same P&L finance opportunities, the same marketing opportunities, the same manufacturing and quality and HR, same, you know, same business, uh, different business unit, but same opportunities. And then probably 15 years ago, 17 years ago, PepsiCo bought Gatorade. So that's a third business unit. And again, like I said, I didn't take advantage of those, but boy, I have always encouraged everyone that I brought on board since um, to take full advantage of of jumping back and forth, spend a couple of years at Pepsi, spend a couple of years at Frito, go to that whole Quaker Gatorade um, opportunity. Um, they go to market completely different than Pepsi and Frito. They're more warehouse driven. They call on warehouse buyers. Um, they have third party operators that put their product on the shelf as opposed to we're route delivered. Both us and Frito-Lay, we manage our shelf space and our, uh, our deliveries. So again, a whole nother aspect. So I think that's kind of the cool part. I mean, the three divisions have multiple roles or multiple career paths, and there's three business units that you can interchange amongst. Um, my boss the last five years came from Frito. 
um, thought he was better in the Pepsi system, but again, it was, it was, you know, a whole nother learning curve because he had a different strategy and a different way to, to kind of go to market. So. No, absolutely. That's awesome. And it seems like there's definitely a, a ton of benefits that come to that product exposure and, and a large company. And I guess to, to, to switch the conversation a little bit over to business development, as it relates to some of the careers that, that you guys might be looking into, uh, we were wondering if you could speak to any maybe successful business development initiatives that you've taken a part of during your time at Pepsi and maybe some of the factors that like, contributed to their success. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'll talk on a, on a little broader scale and then I'll, I'll kind of try to bring it into, to, um, to what I participated. I think a couple of the biggest business development or biggest opportunities that PepsiCo did. And I, I just said, right. They bought Frito-Lay at one point and brought it into in-house. They bought Gatorade at one point, putting Gatorade in the Pepsi system, um, obviously owns 85% of the isotonic business. Um, you had a whole different selling opportunity, right? So maybe, you know, you weren't wearing your Pepsi hat one day, you're wearing your Gatorade hat because that customer really wanted to know more about um, what Gatorade could bring to his bottom line opposed to a carbonated soft drink. So um, again, I think those two major acquisitions that Pepsi did over the last, you know, 50 years has, has really made PepsiCo who they are. The other kind of couple interesting things that, that people don't realize as new age or what we called non-carb um, healthy for you products became a bigger part of the portfolio. Pepsi made an alignment with um, Lipton. So they're a distributor of Lipton iced tea. So anything that's ready to drink or already prepared that you find in a supermarket or convenience store comes off of a Pepsi truck. It's a joint partnership. We don't own it. Own it. Um, it's still owned by Lever Brothers, but we have a joint partnership with them. Same with Starbucks, anything that you buy that's ready to drink. So RTD in a convenience store, gas station, grocery store that has a Starbucks label on it came off of a Pepsi truck based on a joint partnership that Pepsi did with Starbucks. So think about those two number ones within the tea and coffee category. Pepsi immediately became very credible in what we called that new age or healthy for you business. The most recent one is they did the same joint partnership with Celsius. So obviously we've struggled with, you know, how to compete against a Red Bull or against a monster. You know, we bought Muscle Milk, which is a protein drink. We bought Rockstar, which is, uh, again, competes in that energy category. You know, Monster and Red Bull really had a had a dominant part of uh, of the share of the category. Buying cell or joining a, joining a joint partnership with Celsius made us very credible now in that energy world. Um, and I think, again, they those decisions that they've made, again, all comes off of a Pepsi truck, don't own it, just has a stake in the game, um, has made us very credible in, uh, in those categories. Um, you know, for me, um, you know, those entering into those partnerships um, made my job so much easier when it was time to compete against my competitor, right? Um, because the, being number ones in those categories, as those categories grew and as carbonated soft drinks either plateaued or began to decline, you actually were, became much more competitive against the boys in red because um, they, uh, that was a bigger mix or a bigger part of the, uh, of the uh, portfolio. Yeah. Okay. yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, you, you kind of touched a lot on you know, creating competitive advantage through acquisitions yeah. or, or expansion. So I was wondering if you could dig a little yeah. deeper in, into that and maybe how throughout your career um, and, and your and your specific roles, how you've kind of worked to create a competitive advantage and um, kind of just the aspects and um, and features that, that go into that. Okay. 
So not to repeat, but obviously I believe again, Gatorade is a competitive advantage, right? Against Powerade and, and uh, body armor. Um, I think again, Lipton tea and Starbucks. I mean, they've tried a bunch of different entries um, in the tea and, and, uh, and ready to drink coffee category that haven't worked. So those have been competitive advantages. Um, I actually think again, as we went, go into calling on a buyer or a customer, um, you got to figure out again what their priority is, right? I shared with you a minute ago, right? Maybe you put your, your Gatorade hat on instead of your Pepsi hat because Gatorade was much more um, valuable to him. Um, competitive advantage probably shows up a lot from a food service standpoint um, as opposed to retail, right? Again, retail, everybody's in the store, right? Everybody's got a display, everybody's got shelf space. But when you're either in or out in a food service environment, how do you win that? Um, that business, right? Coke's pretty powerful, right? Coke, you'll never outspend them. They got more money than God. Um, but they, um, that you, you can out, you can outsmart them. Um, you know, figure out again from that customer. I mean, how's their service, right? Maybe their services, you know, they, they've cut back, right? They, they can't get headcount or manpower. So you, you maybe hit them, you know, with service. Um, maybe it's innovation, right? Um, they've not innovated recently, right? We've just introduced a new lemon lime, um, Mountain Dew. We used Mountain Dew a ton in the Midwest, um, as our competitive advantage, right? Coke doesn't have a brand like Mountain Dew. If you're across the street from a high school or a college and university or down the street from a hospital and folks are working late night and they want their, you know, jolt of caffeine, um, they come looking for a Mountain Dew. So we always used especially in the Midwest, right? Um, Mountain Dew was a competitive advantage. Um, so I think, again, you figure out what that um, customer, that retailer, kind of what's driving them to talk uh, about their business. Um, was it service? Was it, you know, innovation? Was it equipment, right? Maybe we've shown we've got the, the latest fountain equipment that our competitor didn't have, or we've got these really cool coolers that, you know, light up on the front or, put their customer's name on it. I mean, there was a million things you could do to get that customer involved in kind of that decision-making and, and really showing what that, like I said, you'll never outspend them. They're a great competitor, right? Their portfolio is strong, but again, they didn't have Gatorade. They didn't have Mountain Dew. They don't have uh, Lipton or Starbucks. Um, you know, we got into this sparkling water business, bubbly LaCroix owned hundred percent of the sparkling water business. Um, we've been in bubbly about five years now. And I think we've overtaken LaCroix. Um, so, you, you know, you put the uh, uh, horsepower of Pepsi behind these brands, um, you get the distribution out there because, again, we're everywhere, right? There's no place we can't um, sell. Um, you can get uh, a, a big share of that, uh, of that category. So I think those are some competitive advantages that we would uncover, you know, talking to the customer. Yeah, that's awesome. I think, I think I read a stat the other day, like 94% of the global population can recognize like Coca-Cola's brand. So it's crazy that you guys have to go up against that and, and definitely some interesting strategies to try to combat such a, such a big competitor. Um, so now we're going to kind of open it up to questions. If, if anybody has anything that comes to mind, we have, we have some more questions prepared, but kind of wanted to get you guys involved and see if uh, anything comes to mind after that, that background on Keith. Yes, sir. Um, when you're purchasing a, a, an entity like Gatorade, it must have a big um, C-suite of you know, executives and higher levels in the company. How do you value that personnel? Personnel that could easily leave after they're acquired, they might, have, they might not have loyalty or to your brand or something. And if, and if you value them highly, how do you encourage them to stay? 
Yeah, I think, it, and if I remember, like I said, it's been 12, 15 years since we purchased them. Um, you know, the C, president and CEO of Gatorade stayed on, right, to, to honor the transition into the system. Um, because they're a separate business unit, most of that organization stayed in place. Um, we have over time begun folding the distribution of Gatorade into the Pepsi system, but we sure didn't take the marketing, the innovation, the quality control, the manufacturing, the production. We haven't brought any of that into the Pepsi houses. Um, if anything, we've got a synergy or, or efficiency now because we can put it on our route trucks. And so you've saved again from a distribution standpoint, um, but you really did kind of leave them intact. Um, and you look at the strength of that brand, um, not that you know they could have bought Pepsi, but you look at what they brought to the table. Um, I will tell you, they brought you know tons of innovation. I just saw, I think on Super Bowl, right? They've introduced the first energy isotonic. Um, it's called Fast Twitch, right? So now, you know, not only do you want to replenish your electrolytes, right? You want to replenish maybe your caffeine. You want to replenish, you know, zero sugar. I mean, again, now you're in, uh, now you're in a whole new category because you've got kind of an energy isotonic as opposed to just an isotonic. Um, so I think they were very valued in in the acquisition. Same with Celsius. I think that. Those two companies have come together. I think we've got a large stake in them now, um, but they are running as a separate entity. Um, the good news is they can now come off of a, pe a Pepsi truck. So they now have, you know, we've got efficiencies of distribution, um, which is what we can do the best at, right? That's that's our sweet spot is, you know, selling and delivering, you know, every day, seven days a week out of a warehouse, um, the way our system's set up. Yes, Is it this development when introducing like a new concept or something that's not like currently being used um, that kind of goes against the behavior of consumers? Like, are, would you say that there are strategies to kind of change that consumer behavior or to kind of introduce a new concept better than just selling it? Yeah, so I will tell you, I you know, Pepsi's pretty... Um, I used to say we didn't kind of live a lot on the edge, although I think Mountain Dew obviously got very edgy over time. Um, I think entering into the, the the energy drink category, right? We kind of didn't know what it was. And obviously Red Bull and Monster, you know, proved to us that that they were here to stay. Um, so getting into Rockstar and Rockstar is pretty edgy as well. Um, I think, you know, those are things that Pepsi or PepsiCo kind of had to get out of their way on, right? Because we were pretty, we thought we could be just a CSD or soft drink company. So I do think, again, what we've done over the years has truly shown we're prepared to get out of our way and enter areas where consumers are migrating to. I would say the late, the, the newest thing that, you know, um, I wasn't a part of, but, you know, I'm absolutely amazed at is we now have Mountain Dew hard seltzer, right? So we've gotten into the liquor business. I at no point did we ever think we would get in and we hear Coke's right behind us. Um, but why not take a brand like Mountain Dew that has caffeine and great flavors and great taste and get into this, you know, damn seltzer business, right? Because it's exploding. And um, now that is not off of a Pepsi truck. So there is a, a separate distribution system, but it's in a Pepsi warehouse. So it just literally can't be on a Pepsi truck. But I think those are things that, again, once we got out of our way and figured out that, you know, we can be other things than just a CSD company, carbonated soft drink, I think that's where you see all the growth. I don't know if I answered your question or not, but yeah. 
and the two opportunities that you just mentioned, so the seltzer going to that market and then versus what you mentioned earlier about the health drinks, like low sugar, which do you think is going to also shape the production? Yeah, I think Pepsi's total commitment is going to be behind zero sugar and healthy for you, healthier for you. We're going to still have regular, regular sugar colas. I mean, again, there's people that enjoy that. Um, you know, I, I, I've wrestled my whole career, right. That, you know, we've accused, we've been accused of making every kid in America fat. Right. I mean, I don't think we had anything to do with these kids getting fat. Right. It was Atari and whatever those games are that, you know, people play. Um, but you can drink a Pepsi and enjoy it with a slice of pizza, right. And not be obese. Um, but I do think because, you know, there is the opportunity for zero calorie, healthier for you. I think, again, Celsius falls in that. I think what we're doing with, I mean, think about Gatorade. Gatorade refused to go zero calorie or zero sugar, right? Because if you truly look at the original formula of Gatorade when it was instituted in, at the University of Florida, if you're a true athlete and, and you burn the hell out of, you know, your calories and your, and, and your exercise, you need sugar to replenish. So you should have electrolytes. You should have a little sugar in there. Um, you know, they kind of stood their ground on not taking sugar or offering a, a zero sugar um, option. At some point we had to, you know, right? Mom wasn't buying Gatorade anymore because she didn't want her little kid having sugar. But you really do need sugar to replenish um, after, uh, after a healthy exercise. Um, but I just to, to answer your question, I absolutely think they are designed. I mean, you look at where Fritos going, Sun Chips and Smart Pop and uh, Popcorners. I mean, everything they're creating innovation wise is is healthier, better for you, zero calorie. Um, I think that's truly the uh, the opportunity for us, for sure. Um, which part of the Pepsi business model and processes within the firm did you find the most interesting? So to be, like I mentioned earlier on, I, you know, if if we could get our act together, that whole food service business is 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 fascinating, right? Um, you've got in, equipment innovation, um, whether it's a cartridge or a bag in a box or a new dispenser, um, mixing flavors, right? I mean, you've all been at Burger King or Wendy's or wherever where Coke has their multiple flavor piece. Um, I think again. You got to get incidents up, right? You got to figure out how to get people to buy a soft drink with their hamburger or their their uh, their roast beef. Um, but I had a lot of fun when I was in food service. Um, now the opportunity was a lot bigger, right? Because we didn't have a lot. Um, you know, you got Taco Bell, Pizza Hut, and KFC. We can't hold our whole life on on those three entities, uh, but we've had them forever. Um, but selling to a customer building a relationship with that customer over time. And I will tell you, when I spent time in food service, there were times where it took me a year, maybe even six months before the guy would even return an email, right? You had to figure out, hopefully got him on a good day. And he's like, she said, maybe if I answer the guy, he'll quit bugging me, right? But but I got him to return him and you ask him and then you build a relationship with him and you and you understood what his family was about or, or what was going on in his restaurant or whatever. And then, you know, a lot of times, hell, he didn't know how big Mountain Dew was. You know, he knew his people, his, Guys weren't buying Mellow Yellow or Surge. Um, I say sludge, I'm sorry, Surge. Um, but, you know, once you educated him on our portfolio and what we could bring to the table from a food service standpoint, um, I thought it was a great, I mean, I got 
you know, more highs from selling to a food service guy than I ever did building a 300 case display in a grocery store. Um, so that was fun. Marketing's always going to be fun, right? And again, if you got any marketing guys in the room, um, you know, taking a brand, putting it on the shelf, watching consumers respond to the packaging or the, the tagline or the marketing or, you know, an enter to win or under the cap or all the things you do to engage a consumer with your brand. Uh, marketing is always going to be sexy and fun. Um, but again, food service was kind of where, where the rubber met the road. I really enjoyed that part of it. Yes, sir. Yeah, I think going off the branding and marketing side a little bit, you know, you mentioned the Celsius um, purchase that you guys you know, own a stake of them. I had no idea that even was a thing until you just mentioned that. And I'm curious, what's the incentive to keep those brands separate? Like, is there a reason you're not putting the Pepsi logo on a Celsius can? Because, you know, for someone like me that drinks consume Celsius, but would have no idea it's part of the Pepsi brand, what's kind of the reasoning behind having sub-brands that aren't, you know, Many consumers would know they're tied to Pepsi. Right, right. Um, I mean, to be honest with you, there there could be some negative connotation. I mean, this Celsius is again a brand that is healthier and better for you. Um, probably don't necessarily need to have slap a Pepsi logo on there. And again, remember that's a joint partnership, so we don't own them. So you would never find you would see it come off of a Pepsi truck, but you wouldn't necessarily know that we had a vested you know uh, interest in that in that brand. Um, you know, I think, again, we probably got wiggy over time that, you know, again, consumers were pushing back on sugared soft drinks. Um, Lipton Pure Leaf um, actually doesn't even have the Lipton name on it. It's just called Pure Leaf. So same thing, right? You created a whole brand entity that doesn't even have the parent company's name a part of it because you could. Um, and it's Pure Leaf. It says what it is. It's made from pure uh, tea leaves. Um, so you didn't necessarily have to put Lipton on there. Um so I don't know if I answered your question. I think, again, some brands are, are meant to, to remain alone and remain, um, you know, kind of their own brand um, without that association. Um, I don't know if I answered your oh, question. Yeah. I probably danced a little bit on that one. So, sorry. Yes, ma'am. When you go from, like, you were talking about someone who didn't respond to your email for, like, a year, and you finally got them, and then you are figuring out, like, their family values and stuff, like, how, do you, how does that really look when they're without annoying them, pushing them too much, like to get them to that film Yeah, I think, you know, if you, you at some point you got to convince, kind of, and, and I and I believe this in selling anything, you got to convince people that, you know, you're not in there to do harm or damage or, or, or bad. You're, you're, you hope you're both on the same page. I've got a product that I believe your consumer wants you're in it to make more money. So if I can show you again that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not the devil, right? That I'm, I'm in this to grow your business. Um, again, I think you got to find that one trigger point that he absolutely will respond to, right? Um, and a lot of times I will tell you, it was Coke service. Um, I mean, they're human beings, right? They, they service equipment and they have headcount issues and HR issues like anybody else. If their service started to get bad, you'd at least get a, a customer to respond to you, right? Hey, I've had a real hard time lately with, with Coke service. Um, that, that often would open a door. I, and I will tell you, Mountain Dew, and, and again, you sound like you're not from the United States, but Mountain Dew would open a door when it was unheard, when, when you didn't think the guy would talk to you, when he realized you had Mountain Dew in your portfolio. Have you had a Mountain Dew since you've been here? 
<laughs> you got to get you a Mountain Dew. And there's about 20 flavors of Mountain Dew right now. But anyway, neon green Mountain Dew is the greatest product there is. And that's why I can see it made it into a hard seltzer because you put a little vodka with it, it's even better. But um, Mountain Dew, absolutely. If that customer didn't, you know, he's, oh, I didn't realize, you know, I could get Mountain Dew from you, that would open the door. So I think to answer your question, because again, I don't want to kind of be specific here, you find the competitive advantage. Um, I would tell you, I, I also would, not going to tell you I won every sales call and I got a return email from everybody, right? I can tell you days I cried in my car, right? I mean, because I couldn't get in. But um, you know, there, you, you figure out what you that that customer needs, and you try to tackle it that way. And that was the best way to do it. That was the best way to do it. So I don't know if I answered your question. But. Um, it sounds like you had lots of different competitive strategies to like win in terms of business development acquisitions. Um, and like dealing with like partnerships. Um, I'm kind of curious, like what you were talking, touching on a little earlier about you know, working with consumer perception standpoint of like different ways that you're like maybe value code um, with showing your brand and having like your own um, way to interact with like, the customer. Um, what are kind of the ways to win over your consumer? Yeah, and again, this will probably be pretty top level, right? And and the marketing. While there was field activation, so again, if you had a local property like the Chicago Cubs and you wanted to activate it with a retailer, you you did that on a local level. Um, but you think about where the brand itself resides at our headquarters in New York, right? So you think about some of the strategies that they would do for a brand Pepsi to go head to head with a Coke. Um, I think, again, our, our, our um, sponsorship of the NFL would probably be a perfect example, right? I mean, that is truly the biggest um, sports um, property in the United States. It has the largest following. I think you can add MLB and NHL and NASCAR together, and it doesn't equal, you know, viewership of the NFL. You think about what we did with Super Bowl, and right, people at least started calling it the Pepsi halftime show. Um, and um, I always talk about, you know, no press is bad press or good press. I'm not what the saying is, but again, you got a lot of press behind, you know, what happened at the Super Bowl and the halftime show. So I think what we, what I, I commend Pepsi over time, realizing how big our competitor was and figuring out ways that really could differentiate the brand. I mean, we're both colas, right? I mean, I think some of you probably like Pepsi, some of you like Coke, right? Some of you would never drink a, a Diet Pepsi in your life because you're a Diet Coke drinker. Same with a Diet Pepsi drinker, right? But we're both colas and you got to differentiate yourself. And can you do it from a marketing standpoint, right? Can you get celebrities, which we've tended to do over time, uh, right? And again, way before your guys' time, right? We were the first guys to put Michael Jackson in a commercial. Um, he caught his hair on fire and we got a lot of press behind it, right? Um, but that really put Pepsi in a whole different ball game versus our competitor at that time. Right. And then you sign Britney and then you sign Madonna and then you sign, you know, so over time, I think Pepsi picked the what at the time was the right approach to draw that consumer, or attract that consumer from a marketing standpoint, didn't make it a different cola or make it taste any different, but it just made it more relevant to maybe what the consumer was thinking at the time. So I think I, I really commend, you know, we've had some of the best marketing campaigns, some of the best Super Bowl commercials over time. And, you know, Frito has the same, um, you know, opportunity as well. But, but I think that marketing aspect kind of changed the game with uh, with the brand. So anybody else? 
how do you distinguish, I don't know if this is very applicable to where you were focused in Pepsi, but how do you distinguish between fads and trends? So trends being more lasting and having an impact for a while. Yeah, and I would tell you, so a lot of times um, you would do what's called a limited time only um, flavor. And that just made sense, right? So again, mango got really popular, I think the last couple of years. So there's a Pepsi mango. I don't think there's any expectation that Pepsi mango becomes a permanent part of the portfolio. Um, Christmas time, we used to, when we had Sierra Mist was the lemon lime. There was cranberry Sierra Mist, limited time only. And you marketed it like that, right? So obviously that attracted the consumer that says, hey, I better buy it today because it might not be here tomorrow. But it truly was a limited time offering. Um, and it was seasonal. It was for the holiday. It, you know, got you a couple extra cases on the floor. Um, and it appealed to, uh, again, who that consumer was uh, during the holiday time period. So I think these limited time offerings are there. Um, I will tell you, I think the, the fact that we didn't get in the energy business right away, we thought that was a fact. Right. We thought Red Bull and and Monster were never going to be what they were. And I think that's why we were slow to start. Um, and obviously the acquisition of Rockstar and then what we've done with Celsius hopefully puts us in the game now. Um, but both those would have definitely been considered, you know, kind of fads or or maybe not permanents. And they obviously, you know, have uh, have made a big difference in the in the category. They created the category, right? Red Bull created the energy category. There was no such thing as energy um, until Red Bull arrived. So from a cost benefit analysis, like looking at it from like revenue and then how, how much it costs to make a new product for a limited time, did it make sense uh, from the financing side to like do those limited time offers and like test out a pro product um, from, from that? Yeah, side? I mean, your issue always is there's two or three cases left on the floor and nobody buys it. Right. Then you got to reduce and mark down and uh, fire sale and then throw it away. So I, I would think, again, yes, the upside in, you know, creating more share of the category was beneficial and offset any risk we had in kind of those last few cases that didn't sell. Um, they I, Again, we did cranberry syrup mist for, you know, 10 years running because yeah. it was the right thing to do at the holiday. I think they still make it. It's well, Ceramis now has now been converted to a new lemon lime called Starry. So keep your eyes out for Starry, guys. Um, and um, I'm maybe there'll be a cranberry star, star a Starry this uh, this holiday. We'll have to wait and see. But um, yeah, so. yes, sir. Not, not sure how much you touch the R and D space, but like, what is the weirdest thing that you're potentially working on? Well. Um, and again, you guys probably don't remember any of this. So there was a blue Pepsi. So it was Pepsi blue and it, um, it was an absolute disaster, but it, it has come out a couple times since just to see if it could stick. Um, it, it had a rat red, a blue raspberry taste to it. And it was called Pepsi blue. I, hopefully some of you remember crystal Pepsi. We launched a, cl a clear, so it tasted like Pepsi only it was clear. So I'm not sure where the cola nut fell in that, that that equation crystal pepsi is actually the most frequently requested product on the pepsi website so we brought crystal pepsi out a, probably a dozen times since then same thing happens right back to your question you got those 15 cases on the floor that nobody wants and you wonder again you scratch your head was it worth bringing back crystal pepsi i think those couple things and and almost to the young man's point boy when you start pepsi messing with the pepsi trademark 
you really don't want to screw that thing up, right? Um, so now does the consumer only remember, hey, I bought a crystal Pepsi. Boy, does Pepsi taste like that, right? Or I bought a blue Pepsi. What the hell was I thinking, right? So you really got to be careful when you take the trademark and you start screwing around with that, right? And introducing flavors. So, yes, sir. What's something that people get wrong about launching products for like sewer packaged goods industry or like Pepsi? Well, it's just something that people get wrong or uh, generality that people assume is, is not what the consumer gets wrong or what we get wrong more so like what's just uh what, what we got what we assume that, that you guys are doing that like you guys are like well that's actually how it works yeah i will tell you um the, kind of back to the flavor piece right again messing with flavors probably is is pretty sensitive you got to be careful on that i think the messaging always right um you know if you introduce a new flavor of Mountain Dew or a new flavor of a lemon lime, what's the messaging? And it better be clear. And a lot of times, a perfect example, when we took Sierra Mist, it used to be called Mist Twist and we made it Sierra Mist and we wanted to make it all natural. So the commercials showed beautiful nature scenes with woods and brooks and creeks and, and snow melting. People didn't know what the hell we were talking about. And we were talking about a product called Sierra Mist, but because we wanted to tell you it was all natural, the messaging got very convoluted and it looked like we were talking about a, you know, a national park. Um, and yet we were talking about a new lemon lime. So I think to your point, the messaging's got to be very clear and, and you'll see a lot. And, and if you watch television or your YouTube or your TikTok or whatever, right, the branding of a product you'll know what they're talking about. It's very specific. And I think over time, you know, we've learned our lesson on some of those, but I think messaging has got to be very clear, especially on a new product, on an innovation. Yeah. Just out of curiosity, and I know you hired probably different with this, but what was the rationale between uh, switching from Sierra Mist to Starry? Uh, because I know, at least personally, I was watching like, the, the NBA All-Star game, Starry's primary sponsor. And, uh, I, I wasn't familiar with it, but then realized it used to be Sierra Mist. Right. So I probably was around for the tail end. Um, again, I think we messed with Sierra Mist so much that the consumer wasn't even sure what it was. And I also don't think it tasted like Sprite and Sprite owns the lemon lime category. Okay. So the goal of Starry is to taste just like Sprite and it does. So if you grab one, it tastes just like Sprite. Okay. Sierra Mist was a different formula. Um, I think again, we thought it was our answer to lemon lime and it never ever got traction. Now it, it had a, you know, one, 1 1.2 share. Sprite's probably got a six or seven share, right? So we never ever, and seven up's probably around a four or five. We never penetrated the lemon lime and you gotta have a lemon lime to, own, to be in the software business, right? You really have to have that offering. Um, Starry, and again, from what I've heard, Starry does appeal more to a Gen Z. Um, obviously I'm not the demo, and yet I, you know, again, I drink lemon lime, right? I like vodka and Sierra Mist, believe it or not. Um, so I got a couple of cases of Sierra Mist stashed away for, for, for tailgate season. But um, I, I think they, that they had ruined the brand Sierra Mist and they had nothing to lose by offering a new lemon lime. And again, if it gets traction because it does have good taste, maybe that's the, their answer to lemon lime. But that's probably my takeaway. There's probably some more propaganda around Starry that I wasn't aware of. Um, but that's that's my take on that one. So, and you're right; they did a great job at the NBA All Star Game. 
Um, I think, again, it's called the official soft drink of the NBA. So they at least, you know, tried to grab it while they could. Yeah, during like our conversation we had uh, last Friday, I think it was, you kind of mentioned how uh, how marketing has kind of changed over your, your career and how it used to be, oh, who are you taking to Super Bowl or who are you taking to a Cubs game um, and, and how your whole job was kind of entertaining people. Uh, but you mentioned that's kind of starting to change and not as popular of a strategy anymore. So I was kind of just wondering from a marketing perspective how over your career and, and now today um, marketing has, has changed for, for Pepsi. Yeah, I think, um, so a couple of things you mentioned, I think you'll always have customer relationships, right? You'll have opportunities to entertain and, and build friendships and relationships. So I hope that doesn't go away. Um, I do know, you know, if you know anybody that's in the pharmaceutical business, right? They used to do a great job, right? They'd take doctors on trips and cruises and everything else, right? The government got involved and they don't do that anymore. So pharmaceutical business has changed dramatically. You know, we still take folks to concerts and ball games and 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 spend time with them um, off the clock. I do think that's where you can build a healthy relationship and a partnership with a customer. Um, but I think from a marketing standpoint, um, I think I shared with you guys when we talked, you know, I spent a lot of my career um, at the time, the media was radio and television, right? So I would meet with radio stations and I'd ask for, you know, can you do a live remote in front of a, a gas station for, for two hours and give away Mountain Dew? Or can you do a, uh, uh, an on-air mention that, you know, the DJ's now drinking the, the new Starry product. So we just sent him 10 cases. Talking about that and television obviously has evolved into what you guys look at media today. I think television will still be relevant um, just because but it might be a different form, right? It might be YouTube TV or Hulu or, or Netflix where we try to advertise. Uh, might not be network anymore or cable. Um, but I spent a lot of my energy around trying to get the most for my dollar spent in those two medias. Um, those kind of really don't exist anymore. Even radio, right? I'm on, I'm on Sirius when I get in the car. I don't listen to a, you know, a, a, a radio station in Chicago. Um, so even that's changed dramatically, right? As far as where we're spending those dollars, I think, you know, and you guys know as well as I do, right? Social media is where folks are going to be bombarded with brands and messaging. Um, cause that's where you are. You're sitting there looking at whatever, um, an Instagram or a, a zip zap or whatever you guys look at. And, uh, and that's where Pepsi will invest their dollars to talk about their brand portfolio. I think they'll spend it with retailers as well, right? So if you're at this check lane, right, and there's a, a, a checkout screen, there'll be a commercial run, right? So we're going to try to grab you at the point of sale um, to communicate that messaging. Didn't do a lot of that in my day, but obviously as retailers have got a little bit more sophisticated. Um, I think we'll put things on, you know, the, the um, Instacart website, right? We'll try to be present when you go on Instacart or Amazon and you want to order something to be delivered to home. We'll try to be the first product listed. Um, so those are things, again, that we never did or had to do before. We are spending all our dollars against the media, like television and radio, and they'll, st they'll still spend some of that, but it's not like, you know, what it was when, when, when I was there. That was really our only source of communicating kind of the brand and, and messaging. Awesome. Any other questions out there? All right. I guess that's about it. Maybe if you've got one piece of advice just to leave us with. And call it there. Um, so one thing that I, I've, I, I really, you know, and we didn't get to spend a lot of time on kind of my Notre Dame days and the things after, um, 
the whole God's plan thing and everything. I think what you guys need to do and, and think about a lot is utilize, you know, your Notre Dame degree, your Notre Dame time, your Notre Dame network, because I will tell you, it, it was very beneficial for me. And I think it will continue to be very beneficial for you guys over time. Um, whether it's, you know, from a LinkedIn standpoint or an Irish compass standpoint, um, you know, Notre Dame has to have their own LinkedIn. So they created Irish compass, make sure you're using those. Right. But also make sure you see a Notre Dame connection, um, you know, back to sending the guy, you know, an email for six months till he responds, connect with these people. Um, I can't tell you how many folks in my 35 years I've helped get summer internships or internships during their junior year or an interview or a job at Pepsi Chicago because that's where they wanted to go. Or I helped them with a project because they knew I worked at Pepsi and I might've known something about fountain equipment and that was something they were working on as an engineering student. I can't tell you how many people have reached out to me um, and I hope I've given them you know, some great direction and, and, uh, and opened up some, uh, some opportunities for them. I will tell you, I used it the whole time that I told you when I did the, the food service job for a couple of years, the first day I took that job, I sent an email out to every person on my email distribution list and said, I'm taking a new job and I'm going to be on the food service side, not the retail side. Everybody on this distribution list knows somebody or knows somebody that knows somebody that's in a position at a restaurant, a food service, a hospital, a college and university. Can you get me connected with them? And I, I got two great examples. My One of my good friends, their next door neighbor was the CEO of Advocate Healthcare in Chicago. She walked next door and she goes, hey, my best friend from Pepsi or from Notre Dame works for Pepsi. He just got a job in their food service. He'd love to reach out to you. He says, have him give me a call. Six months later, we, we converted the entire Advocate Healthcare system in Chicago. I looked one day on LinkedIn and the new president named for DePaul University in Newcastle, Indiana. DePaul, D-E-P-A-U-W. New president named, Notre Dame alum. I can't even remember his name. I sent him a LinkedIn message. I said, hey, Mr. President of DePaul, my name's Keith Melarogno, class of 81. I'm the PepsiCo food service guy in Indiana. Um, anybody ever talk to you about Pepsi in your uh, uh, university? He said, no, come on down, man. I, I don't know anything. We went down, we uncovered his, uh, his um, guy buying the uh, business for the concessions in the cafeteria and all the vending machines was taking a little bit of money from the Coca-Cola guy. So obviously we converted that business in about three months. So, um, you know, use your network. So I'd leave you with that. I think again, that, that Notre Dame name means a lot um, and will get you a lot. Um, and take full advantage of it, okay? Because I did, and I, again, I think you guys, you'll be in a better position than I am. There's just so much uh, opportunity for you from alums and, and the network, um, so take advantage of it, okay? Thanks for your time, man. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right, everyone. That about wraps up our conversation with Keith Melaragno of Pepsi Beverages Company. We hope you enjoyed our conversation on Keith's career path and his insight into the food manufacturing and distribution space. We also hope you were able to learn about the strategies that companies can use to attack the market share of competitors. 
If you would like to learn more about operational strategy and business development, I would encourage you to check out a couple of our past episodes. First, I would recommend listening to our episode entitled Investing from an Operational Perspective with Richard Dresdale of Jefferson River Capital. I would also steer you towards an episode entitled The Evolution of Private Equity and Guiding Companies Through the Recent Market Downturn with Thomas Haggerty, who is a Managing Director at Thomas H. Lee Partners. These podcasts are great resources for all of you trying to pursue careers in business, whether you're looking to learn more about a specific industry or just hear the stories and advice of leading professionals in these roles. As always, if you have any guests or topics that you would like for us to cover in the future, please feel free to reach out to us on our website. With that, thank you guys so much for listening, and we will see you next episode.